Hi everyone and welcome to the VOOCcast, Australia's Nintendo podcast. My name's Angelo Valdivia and with me this week are Paul Roberts. Hello. And Chris Button. Hello, thanks for having me on again, Angelo. Welcome guys, thanks for joining me today. Uh, We've got a great show lined up for you this week, all about Nintendo's surprise mini direct, Untitled Goose Game getting a double honking with new co-op play, plus a discussion on what we would want out of a beefed up newer version of the Switch, But let's kick things off with Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles broken online systems in Australia and New Zealand. So we're going to have a quick discussion about Paul's experiences with Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles because he's been playing it lately. But first of all, let's let's focus a little bit on some issues that have been surrounding some of uh, the Australian and New Zealand players. So... um, our own team members, people like uh, Ollie or Oliver Brandt, who are regulars on the show, um, mentioned that there have been some issues with connecting onto the game uh, around the time that it released. And then focus, uh, looking over at Reddit, there seemed to be quite a lot of problems coming out of Reddit that people were posting about where they just couldn't maintain a connection with their friends online. And it seems to be a region-specific issue. So after about 30 seconds or so, the game just seems to time out and kick everyone off. And it's not just exclusive to the Switch either. It seems to be happening on the iOS and Android versions of the game, as well as the PS4 versions of the game. So let's just have a quick chat about this one. So um, just not talking about necessarily the game experience at the moment, Paul, because we will come to that a little bit later. But how have you been going with this? Have you had similar sort of issues and and have you found any sort of solution to it? Uh, Yeah, it's... It's broken. It's a, if it, the, the 30 seconds happens. And worse is that it will pull you into the game and so you can run around for that 30 seconds with them. So it's a bit hard to tell initially, like, well, is this running all right? And then it drops out. And mm. from what I've seen, I know Ollie's had the situation where the, they tried so much that it it blocked him out for a while so it's yeah because it can become a real issue for some people i guess and but just for now it's a big shame that uh, at least for au and i don't remember if it's new zealand as well but just not being able to get into a game where the main focus is well yeah the real meat of that game is in the multiplayer Mm. Yeah, and um, as of recording this episode, so recording around midday on Sunday, uh, August 30th, uh, we actually, well, I actually reached out um, in the Vox Slack to find out if anything's fixed itself at the moment. And even Ollie has said, no, there hasn't been any any fixes as far as I know. There was some scheduled, unscheduled maintenance rather um, a few days ago where the game was down, um, where there was some sort of maintenance going on, but didn't seem to fix anything. People are still having some problems. So that's a, a real bother um, that that's happened, but apparently it's not exclusive to this gang. Apparently, there are other uh, Square Enix online games that have had similar issues. I'm not entirely sure if it's happening regionally here or like some other regions as well. But there are some other issues with uh, maintaining online connections between players that haven't been fixed as well, and people are sort of down on their luck about um, whether or not sorry down on whether or not uh, there'll be any sort of fix for this for them anytime soon. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what to make of this situation. It seems like just a really big oversight that hopefully will get fixed because Crystal Chronicles is a pretty big deal. I think. Would you guys agree? The fact that the fact that it's not localized to the Nintendo Switch version as well is mm. pretty significant as well because um, I'm just looking at the the notes here and that uh, that. The connectivity issues are also on iOS, Android, and PS4 as well. So it's it's not like it's confined to one particular group of players either. So um, as far as platform is concerned, so yeah, that's that's a real bummer. Considering so many people uh, were excited for Crystal Chronicles, a game that pretty well lives and breathes on its uh, online or not online previously, but. Uh, we're hoping to breathe new life into it with uh, the option of online multiplayer. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there have been some suggestions of uh, setting up a VPN and playing via VPN, which some people have said um, is a solution. But, you know, if you're not so technically savvy, then that's just a, a huge hurdle to try and get through. So, yeah, hopefully things will uh, sort themselves out with that situation and we'll we'll probably re- return to this one next next episode. 
Um, but uh, let's go over to the uh, Nintendo Partner Showcase Mini Direct, which just was a surprise drop um, earlier in the week. Um, there were some notable announcements, uh, one of which being um, World of Tanks Blitz is out now uh, on Nintendo Switch. Then we've also got Just Dance 2021 coming out on November 12. We've got Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, which is an interesting looking rhythm game uh, coming out on November 13. We've got Puyo Puyo Tetris 2, sequel to the, to the hit game, which came out around launch originally, uh, coming out on December 8. And then Collection of Saga Final Fantasy Legend out on December 15. So some pretty decent releases coming out, which seem to, which will probably be, you know, uh, appealing to quite a wide range of people, but nothing Nintendo specific at the moment. Still nothing from the Nintendo front. Any games here that catch your eyes, guys? I think um, less less a case of me being a Just Dance aficionado, uh, which obviously I certainly look for type, don't I? But the... <laughs> <laughs> did I did I read correctly that this Just Dance will not be having a Nintendo Wii release, unlike the previous however many? Is that the case? It was shown off in the I think the so. Oh, sorry, in the Wii, yeah. sorry, Nintendo Wii. Yes, you're right. I think that is the case. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, which I think because of the large install base of Nintendo Wii's, Just Dance has had a a pretty phenomenal tale on uh, the the Wii. So, um, yeah, RIP the Wii, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's seven years, it, seven uh, successive releases of Just Dance after the Wii U coming out. So, you know, the, the Wii was basically thrown aside in 2012, but Just Dance was still coming up until its most recent one, which would have been last year. Hell I guess that. it's... It's kind of fitting that 2020 would be the year that uh, <laughs> that's something that that big would finish up. Yeah, <laughs> the pandemic killed 20. the Wii as well. Is that what you're saying? Paul? Yes, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, I've, I've I haven't tried uh, the latest Just Dance demo. I have it on my Switch, and I've been meaning to try it. But um, after playing Ring Fit Adventure and playing some, you know, those kind of fitnessy type of games, I'm actually really intrigued by Just Dance. So this one might be the one that I jump in on. And see, being being a Just Dance aficionado, Chris, like, would you recommend that I get into Just Dance? Oh, oh yes, with my extensive Just Dance experience, Angelo, <laughs> I can tell it's going to be right up your alley. I'll uh, organise for for Vuk to assign you the review of this year's release. Great, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to do that. <laughs> what about World of Tanks? Has anyone here played World of Tanks before? I haven't, but I know it's reasonably popular. Yeah, it's it's quite huge. When we go to places like PAX, like it's just huge. These wargaming games are, are enormous. So this will be interesting mm. to see how well this one does because free-to-play games seem to do pretty well on the Switch. Um, I'm personally mm. excited about Puyo Puyo Tetris 2, though, because I actually really like yes. the first one. Yep. Yes, yes. Yeah. As bad as I am at uh, those sort of puzzle games, <laughs> uh, yeah, the first one first one was quite good. So, uh, yeah, this this one will no, ba- no doubt just be uh, equally as good. Mm. all right let's have a look at uh untitled goose game in that case so untitled goose game is getting a two-player co-op uh the function will be delivered as a free update on september 23 now this is very exciting but a year after the original release of the game uh will be coming with a free update um of local co-op unfortunately it's not online co-op but you know it's it's free it's local co-op it's still good um It'll be very, very exciting. Don't think there'll be any sort of new tasks or anything like that that hasn't been announced. It'll just pretty much be the same game, but this time you can run amok with two geese. It's double the trouble. So this is quite exciting. Are you guys excited to to jump in on this and give it a play with your friends, family, significant others? Yes, this, uh, I think... Uh, it's it's not something that I had been hoping for, uh, cult with Untitled Goose Game, but uh, when I saw it announced, I thought, oh, yeah, of course. That, that'd be such a great idea because Makes the sense. universal appeal, yeah, the universal appeal of this game and how approachable it is to uh, traditional gamers and people who don't traditionally play games alike uh, this would be a, a fantastic game to you know play with, yeah, with friends, family, partners, and especially I, I can see this being a real hit with families, uh, with kids, mm. uh, with kids running around as geese and honking at each other, and you know causing havoc in this little uh, little otherwise peaceful village. So uh, yeah, I think um, 
this this is a, a wonderful addition, and uh, we'll uh, we'll breathe new life in into the uh, into the game. So yeah, keen to keen to see how this one goes. Yeah, Chris, you and I have talked about Goose Game before, and we've talked about how much we really enjoyed it. But Paul, have you played it? I have. I have not finished it, despite it not being a super long game. It's one of those games I sort of played in between other releases and I guess between reviews. It's something like this definitely makes it enticing to go back and check it out and like get a run around to geese. It's I can just envision having two people going around like how easily it is that you can try going around stealing stuff from the market or just just messing with pretty much anything in that game. It's the I can see a lot of people finding the the most bizarre things to get out of that game through it. I just love how it's such a wholesome game, but it's wholesome in the sense that you can really indulge in your douchey side as well. That's what, you know, mm. it's always good to have a heartwarming wholesome game, but it's also good to have a, a heartwarming uh, sort of menacing game as well, if those can even exist. Well, I think the the, the fact of the, the matter is, is that it is a wholesome game and you, you are rather mischievous but you're not really hurting anyone. You're just causing minor inconvenience to these people's <laughs> lives, which I think is what sort of keeps it on the wholesome side. Apart from that one kid that you just absolutely <laughs> terrorise. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I think that kid might have uh, have grounds for uh, for uh, a bullying sort of, uh, yeah, bullying for her. Um, yeah. <laughs> But that's where you introduce a sequel where you have the kid coming to terms with the goose and the, the goose manages to redeem themselves for their their crazy actions in the first game. Yeah. Too goose, <laughs> too terrible. All right. Um, untitled untitled goose therapy game. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's have a look over at some some rumor uh, news, if you can even call it that. So Bloomberg had a report going out um, earlier this week. Um, it's just kind of stoking the fires a little more about um, a new Switch model that people have sort of been talking about for about two years now. It's supposed to come last year. It's supposed to come this year. May now apparently come uh, next year, according to this Bloomberg article. Um, doesn't necessarily specify a Switch Pro, which is what people were sort of talking about back in the day when you know we weren't so sure about a Switch Lite, that there might be a Switch Lite and a Switch Pro. Uh, but this just kind of mentions a sort of beefier version of the Switch. Um, so Bloomberg is reporting that a 2021 release with a new lineup of unannounced titles may come next year in response to Sony and Microsoft's next-gen launch this holiday. Um, also, according to that, um, to, to Bloomberg's sources, rather, Nintendo has, quote, looked into including more computing power and 4K high-definition graphics, which is something that I want to come back to a little later. Um, The same report also suggests one of the big reasons why Nintendo has been quiet this year has been because of the focus on this next year's slate of uh, titles and this new hardware and stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what to feel about this one. Um, You know, it could be good for some people, but at the same time, it's just been years at this point of people being like, oh, this is the year for a new Switch. Oh, no, this is the year for a new Switch. So I don't know. I'm kind of numb to this kind of idea. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, it's... Just yeah, year year in year out, this comes back up. It's b- between the I guess the the longer that the directs take to come out, it feeds into other speculation, and of course, this always comes up. But it's just with this year, it's like if Microsoft and Sony is still going to try and force their consoles out in twenty twenty, it's like it's hard to imagine that Nintendo would all all of a sudden decide like oh no now like it's not the time. COVID has taken a pretty big hit on their release schedule. It seems for this year, I could imagine that 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 might be one of the bigger reasons why it is because there's just no reason for them to like it doesn't benefit them to have a really quiet year otherwise. And we know that they've already been shuffling things around in the background to accommodate. Mm. How about you, Chris? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, many. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the whole discussion around an improved and more technically powerful Switch model 
it's obviously something that's been of significant interest to a lot of people for quite a while now. But the the one the one aspect of the report that does sort of bother me is the uh, the notion that it's suggesting, you know, this is why Nintendo has been so quiet this year is because of a focus on releasing content or games to take advantage of new and improved hardware, which with with what Paul said, I, I can understand uh, a certain aspect to it in terms of, you know, if 2020 is, you know, 2020 has been uh, a write-off for many and has been very challenging on a number of levels from development to dis- uh, distribution and um, obviously people's capacity to spend on, uh, you know, disposable income and that sort of thing. But um, I what what's really bothered me about nintendo's approach in regards to nintendo directs in regards to announcements in regards to a potential or non-potential new hardware is a significant lack of transparency and communication uh, throughout this time uh i think from my perspective and i come from a little bit of a marketing and communications background uh you know, during my sort of you know day work and that sort of thing uh, and one of the, the big things that I think is important for any company, regardless of industry, is uh, consistent and regular open communication, which is something that Nintendo doesn't do brilliantly at the best of times. Uh, but I think that's something that has improved in recent years with the Nintendo Directs. However, the last 12 months or so, um, you know, there's... Not a lot to inspire confidence for people who haven't bought Switches yet. Uh, So if someone's looking this Christmas to buy a Switch for themselves or family or that sort of thing, oh, should I be buying a Switch or holding out for a new thing? Or are there any new games coming out that I would want to purchase this for or that sort of thing? So I don't think it's inspiring a lot of buyer confidence. And I think if Nintendo have really struggled due to the impact of the global pandemic from a development perspective and have struggled to adapt um, in a way that perhaps some other development studios and companies have done you know, okay with, then I think they should just come out and say so, that they should just say, hey, look, this, this has impacted our, um, our procedures and the way that we work and... A lot of the things that we wanted to do this year are simply no longer feasible, uh, but here's, here's what we're planning to do going forward. And I think if they were to show that transparency and to sort of uh, manage expectations better than what they have, uh, then I think the majority of people will be understanding of that. Of course, you'll still get the you know internet numpties who, you know, go and do what they do and uh, leave all sorts of nasty comments online and speculate with baseless uh, avail. But I think, uh, yeah, I would like to see better communication from Nintendo to inspire more confidence from a upcoming software and hardware perspective. Yeah, and just returning to last week's topic of uh, coming out of their financial, sorry, last episode's, um, topic of coming out of their financial reports for the year. The, the Nintendo Switch, uh, as of that report, had sold 61.44 million um, units, just the, the system alone, which by comparison, the PS4 is currently at 110. So just over half of what the PS4 has at the moment. And the PS4 is now staring down the barrel of a of a new system releasing in just a few months, apparently. Um, so the Switch, on the other hand, being such a success, specifically this year as well with Animal Crossing coming out, just at that sweet spot of the world going terrible and this one game being this little, little beacon of hope that kind of you know placated a lot of people's situations. Um, are we seeing that Nintendo is going back to... Nintendo seems to be a very bipolar company. Are we seeing Nintendo flipping back to that very arrogant, we are on top kind of attitude that we normally see when they are no longer in a spot of desperation like they were with the Wii U, for example, and with the GameCube, how they turned things around with the Wii and then the Switch. 
is that one of the reasons why we might be seeing that they're not doing so much communication? Sure, like all the COVID stuff and, and you know, restrictions working from home is absolutely a factor with that because we see that around across the board with many companies uh, outside of video games as well. But are we also seeing Nintendo just kind of being like, we've still sold millions of copies. We are not on a spot of worry or anything like that. We can still take our time. People will still be back next year because there will always be, there will always be Nintendo fans. Are we seeing that kind of attitude at all, do you think? Paul, what do you think? They it definitely feels that they're coasting. It's a hard it's always hard to tell, like especially Sony in the past when they've got an arrogant when Microsoft have gone arrogant, like and of course Nintendo over the years. It's hard to tell at this point, mostly because they as Chris was talking about, they they're not transparent. There's just this radio silence for long stretches and of course people like yeah they've sold enough consoles people are going to buy the games it's we're still looking forward to them that's why we want to hear from them but it's yeah the after like i imagine we've all been through those periods of times throughout their consoles like whether it's the silence throughout that would come through the gamecube era or the the Wii U era, it's just that, yeah, it's hard to know what's going on. And it's like with the Wii U, it's, well, you don't know if it's they're going to cut their losses. Although with a Switch, they they don't have any losses to cut. Like, it's a wildly successful console. It's that concern of, well, yeah, buying the Animal Crossing Switch a switch earlier this year it becomes like well have i gotten this uh, it's got the better battery but then in a year year or so it's it like yeah is there going to be a better one coming down the line that's like well i don't need two switches really it's yeah it's just uh that that silence can be be a bit difficult at times to just not like yeah if they want people to to buy their stuff it's they've they've got less no hmm what i'd really like to to do and uh i i really should have looked into this before uh, recording but um cuz we we know that nintendo 3ds was a wildly successful portable console and that had I don't know how many different models that thing had towards the end of its lifespan. You know, lot, 3DS, yeah. 3DS XL, new Nintendo 3DS, new Nintendo 3DS XL, uh, 2DS, new, new, new Nintendo 2DS. Yeah, all of these uh, sort of incremental upgrades or sort of uh, sideways um, sort of variations for different uses or different audiences and that sort of thing. Um, I can't quite, uh, I can't quite remember what the breakdown of the, the sales figures were for each of those those platforms and variations. And um, I can't remember what the, the breakdown was uh, and whether it was mentioned in the financials discussed last week, the, um, the, the breakdown or the percentage of Switch purchases, which have been the, the base Switch with the dock and the Switch Lite. Um, and you know what people's preferences are. I mean, obviously the base switch has been out far longer, and that's sold uh, far more than the light. Uh, but I think, especially with the switch being primarily a home console, even though I've just mentioned the light, which is not a home console, uh, just to confuse matters further. I think the there's certainly a trend, not just from Nintendo's perspective, but especially from Microsoft as well, for incremental upgrades and uh, slight iterations with hardware, as opposed to you know your traditional five to seven years of a generation, and then yeah, here's the the bigger and better thing that's you know can do five times better or that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what sort of impact the this growing trend of incremental hardware releases, almost like a a PC hardware lifespan and life cycle sort of thing, uh, will have on people purchasing uh, this hardware, or whether 
you know, or what hardware people will actually buy or gravitate to and whether it'll surely this has got to create confusion for families and that sort of thing, especially if the kids are really keen for a game console and then the parents aren't tech savvy and they're thinking, what the hell do I get? Um, then I I can't help but think that, you know, fragmenting player bases and fragmenting market share with different variations of consoles, it only just causes further confusion uh, among those who aren't part of sort of the, the hardcore uh, enthusiast market. Yeah, it's interesting that when people do talk about that whole like, um, you know, transferring from one product to another or, or iterative hardware and things like that, um, like when you consider mobile phones, like people don't have any real problem with the idea of, of iterative hardware. You know, every new every year there's a new phone and they get more and more expensive over time by hundreds of dollars a lot of the time. Um, but I think the difference there is that not everyone upgrades every year. They upgrade every two years, maybe. Um, it seems to be, you know, the last five years or so, phone hardware has gotten to a point where, you know, the incremental upgrade now is not quite so necessary. So people are, are latching onto their their devices for, you know, three, four years at a time, depending on how well their battery lasts or anything like that. Um, but there definitely was that sort of, concern earlier on with with smartphones and things being like oh i've got to buy next year's phone or i've got to buy you know a new phone in two years whereas now it seems to have slowed down with that but i think the difference with video games is that you know you buy the video game and you have games that can only run on that system whereas with mobile you know you, you can play a game and so long as it's still up on you know the respective app store then you can still play games from 10 years ago if they're still there whereas you know with with switch you can't play 3ds games or ds games or anything unless they've been ported over somehow so I think that's, yeah, that's definitely something um, that people think about. But um, going back to your question there, Chris, about um, sales for 3DS, uh, according to Wikipedia, um, and as of June this year, 30th of June, um, all combined uh, 3DSs have sold just shy of 76 million units. So a good... Oh, that was that was fewer than I thought, actually. Yeah, about 13 but million very good. Switch. Very, very good. Um, so definitely up there with in terms of their handhelds and things like that. But um, hmm. just my quick final thoughts about, about Nintendo and, and their communication and things. Uh, I think since the passing of Iwata, Nintendo has really struggled to maintain uh, a personality when it comes to, to communicating with people. With Iwata, we had Nintendo Directs. He became a character. He became a figurehead that people uh, looked forward to hearing from. Unfortunately, people like Miyamoto and things like that haven't really fulfilled that role. And even Kimishima and his successor haven't fulfilled that role at all, um, which is a bit of a shame. I guess Sakurai is probably the, the next one um, with Smash Brothers. He's the next sort of figurehead that people look forward to hearing from when you know, there's a new Smash character or something. But when it comes out of Microsoft, you know, with the new Xbox, people turn to Phil Spencer. They look forward to hearing from him or Major Nelson and things like that. PlayStation a little bit with Shuhei Yoshida and, um, you know, those kinds of people. Um, but Nintendo doesn't really have that anymore. Now they have turned to a much more of a a faceless kind of corporate entity. You know, every now and again, we'll get a reel of commercials that just tell us, oh, these are some upcoming games coming up. There's no one that really communicates that and sort of, you know, inspires people to kind of latch onto that property and, and get excited about it. I don't get excited about hearing from Nintendo anymore. It's more about when's Nintendo just going to announce some games for me to buy. So mm. that's at least how yeah. I see it. All right, let's move over to some more positive stuff. Let's let's turn this discussion about rumors and all those kinds of things and, and will they, won't they, into more of a what would we want out of an, a new Nintendo Switch? What kind of things would we want to get? What would make us spend another three to $400 that we probably don't have on a new system um, that we think will last us until, you know, a definitive new generation of Nintendo consoles? Um, so for me personally, um, I, I'm actually quite happy with the way the Switch is right now. I'd probably like it to have a much better battery, um, probably some better kind of audio stuff going on. I like that um, Sony has really been talking about um, 3D audio and more immersive audio experiences. I'd love to be able to do that with the Switch with Bluetooth headphones instead of having to have a cable constantly connecting into it. Um, but me personally, in terms of 4K and stuff, like people seem to really get excited about 4K gaming and 4K video and everything like that. And even in terms of filmmaking, everyone's like, oh, I've got to get a 4K camera and stuff. But, you know, I've, I'm just not quite as excited about 4K. I don't 
as I get older, my eyesight's probably going to get worse. So seeing like individual pixels on a smaller and smaller scale probably doesn't excite me as much as just seeing really cool stuff and really cool effects and really cool art. But um, what about you guys? What are some things that you would want out of a new Nintendo Switch? Hmm. I guess, yeah, the same with a battery to just... Even the the upgraded battery is it's a lot better than than the launch battery, but still even a bit more like it's probably expecting a bit much to want much more than that because it's not like the PlayStation or the Xbox needs to like they're not portable well besides all the X Cloud stuff, but it's yeah, it's kind of a unique situation for the Switch these days. That's a good point. What about cloud gaming and things like that? We know that there are some examples of that in Japan. It, it would be nice for that to also be on Switches around the world, but I guess as with all the the Square Enix stuff with uh, Crystal Chronicles, we know that it's uh, Australia may be on one of the lower rungs of places that they feel they need to focus servers and i guess online interactivity with that's true and i guess we we, we're well aware that nintendo isn't the strongest when it comes to online functionality but yeah what about you chris what would you want i think most of the improvements i want to see switch side are from like uh an online infrastructure and sort of more of a software side of things. Perhaps from, from hardware, I'm similar to you, Angelo, 4K, other than perhaps, you know, 4K movies, you know, shot on super nice cameras and that sort of stuff. 4K isn't something that really gets my motor running. Uh, but uh, I think I've I've benefited from the, the increased battery length uh, or duration of the, the the red box switch as it's known the mm-hmm. uh, the slightly upgraded model there so I've found that battery to be more than adequate for what I need um, perhaps better um, and I'm not very good with networking terminology or hardware but better networking protocols or that sort of stuff so it's it's better uh, easier and better to uh, have a stable internet and Wi-Fi connection uh, because I've I've found that, uh, and perhaps it's just my house configuration that sometimes the uh, the connection to Wi-Fi can be a little bit dicey. But uh, I think most most of the things I want to see improve from the the switch are from sort of the user experience perspective, especially with the the eShop and things that uh, are capable from an eShop perspective, you know, better curation and that sort of stuff. But uh, that's going on a, a bit of a tangent because that's not necessarily hardware related. I think, yeah, like you said, Angelo, uh, Bluetooth connectivity with headphones or, you know, microphones, uh, that sort of stuff, inbuilt voice chat to not have to worry about using a uh, third-party app or that sort of stuff, which, I mean, I think, that's less of a priority as I've become more familiar with Discord and that sort of thing, but um, that just makes me sound like a, a bit of an old man because uh, the young kids have been using Discord for much longer than I have. Uh, so. Well, I think if you're going to be connecting to your device with Bluetooth headphones to actually listen to what you're doing in the game, it would be much more convenient to not have to connect to a second device to actually have your chat going through. Fair, fair. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of what else. I think... Uh, so yeah, 4K is not necessarily a priority for for me, um, but perhaps you know just just beefier internals. So uh, you know to try and hit some of those uh, frame rates at a more stable, uh, you know stable rate, and perhaps for the uh, for in handheld for it to be able to reach uh, full HD as opposed to just 720. Which, mind you, most of the games that run really well on the Switch look just fine in 720 in the handheld but i suppose just to try and squeeze you know up to full hd in handheld would uh well that'd that'd make some games like breath of the wild and that sort of stuff really pop that'd look lovely Mm. um but uh yeah and again um i'm not a hardware expert but just just anything that makes it easier for third-party developers and indies to uh maximize their game's performance on Switch, uh, whatever that entails. So, yeah, but as as I said before, I'm uh, not particularly enthused about any potential <laughs> new Switch model release. 
So any speculation on my part is just stuff I'd be wanting to whack into the switch I already have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think I think rather than moving straight into just more pixels and you know high high you know pixel density and sharper images and things, I think just maybe switching over to like an OLED screen would be a little more of a benefit rather than you know just higher pixel density because um, it would just help with just the color colorization of games. So like Breath of the Wild, for example, beautiful game, but playing in handheld mode, sometimes the colors do look a little bit washed out. And I think with an OLED screen, like, you know, the greens of, of Hyrule Field will come out a little more. The darkness sometimes of running around at night will pop a little more, all that kind of stuff. So I think that would really just be a nice little complement to that system. Plus, OLED tends to be a little more battery efficient as well. So that could also help with the longevity of playtimes. Mm. Um, but one thing that I have wanted in a damn Nintendo console since the GameCube are analog triggers. Where have they gone? Oh, Why don't we have those anymore? They are so and useful. And Joy-Cons in general. Yeah. Oh, oh, Drift, get that out of here. But yeah, like analog yeah. analog triggers, I mean, without those, you just can't have particularly functional racing games out of just your, you know, laffy-taffy kind of um, kart races. Like you can't play like a Forza or anything like that on, or, or uh, you know, a uh, a racing sim on switch because you don't have the nuance of braking and and accelerating it's just too difficult just it just becomes on and off it doesn't become you know a, a, a gradual thing that you can control yeah i'm trying to remember the name of the the game that i reviewed a couple of years ago for books gear club or something unlimited like that. yeah i think i reviewed the first yeah. one on switch and i thought this, this is, you know, not bad. This is a, a reasonable driving game. It tries to introduce a bunch of sim elements, which is, you know, pretty cool. Um, there were other things about it which I thought, you know, I wasn't a massive fan of. But any driving game that tries to do anything, um, and it's interesting we mentioned driving games because I recently saw some interesting discussion on, on Twitter about um, that you know, it's perhaps not constructive to view racing games as binary arcade versus sim because you can certainly mix the two. Absolutely. Uh, but the, um, yeah, the the experience would have been significantly better if I had, you know, the analog triggers of an Xbox One or PS4 controller. Uh, so, yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention that. So, <laughs> Angelo, you're 100% on the money there. Uh, you are the new president of Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, great. Great. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like even even PlayStation is is upping the ante even further by having adaptive triggers now. You know, now you can get your triggers mm. jammed when you go to shoot and your gun is stuck or something, you know, or you can increase the tension when you pull back a bow. Whereas Nintendo was still just click on, click off. It's just it's so unsatisfying and makes playing, you know, racing games just that less enjoyable to me. Um it was even useful in something like Metroid Prime, you know, when you could just sort of mm. aim around and then lock your aim in by pulling the trigger all the way down. Yeah, and it seems quite um, quite bizarre because you think about when the Switch was first announced and the first bunch of games that were really focused around the um, the Joy-Con with uh, the HD rumble and the the effects of. Uh, you know, oh, you can sense more things with the HD rumble or with one to switch. Oh, you can, you know, try and count how many ice cubes are in the glass, that sort of thing. And you think, okay, that sort of stuff is cool. And I've seen uh, similar sort of rumble effects used quite well in the latest iPhones and that sort of stuff with, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, haptic feedback or haptic um, rumble or that sort of well, thing. Well, it's, it's really useful in uh, things like the Apple Watch as well. You know, you can, it's, yeah, when you're yeah. sleeping and things like that, like, you know, you have much more subtle vibrations you can work with. Yeah, so to have have something and make such a song and dance out of the HD rumble and what the Joy-Con are capable of, but still not have the analog triggers to get the full you know, uh, sort of tangible feedback with your gaming experience, that that seems very odd yeah. in retrospect. Not even putting it in like the Pro Controller or anything like that is a real shame. Mm. Uh, but like, yeah, and going back to that, um, even like there are some things that Nintendo really does want to focus on in terms of nuance and things like that. But like with the original Wii U um, gamepad, like back when it was still sort of Project Cafe or whatever it was, when they debuted that, the two sticks were actually the same as the 3DS slider nubs. They weren't even actual control sticks that you could click in. And then in the in the retail release, they actually switched over to proper sticks that you could click in and had 
proper motion and stuff. So Nintendo nice. Nintendo does pay attention to that kind of thing, but for some reason, for what almost twenty years now, we haven't had a system that has analog triggers. So we got games that use cardboard as controllers before we got analog triggers. That's right. That's exactly but right. But hey, you can play your racing games with them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Touche. All right. What about a name for this thing? What would they call it? For me personally, I'm really enamored with the idea of they're calling it the Super Switch. I would love if they returned to that sort of naming convention like they did with the Super NES or the Super Nintendo and calling it the Nintendo Super Switch. What would you guys call it? I, lo- I like it. I-, I-, I really like it. I find it a very endearing and, and likable name as especially i think i'm coming from a place of nostalgia because my first console and the one that i grew up on was the snes so yeah to, to me it'd be a a nice little nod to their you know previous naming convention so yeah i'd be all for a, a super switch hmm. just in several years time not next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah super switch uh, has a ring to it because otherwise you know that they'd probably just go with switch plus or switch pro which the new oh, switch yeah, the, oh god yep there's that too i can see that none of us like that one just <laughs> <laughs> because a problem right because you've got the new nintendo 3ds but that was new six years ago it's not new anymore got new super yeah. mario brothers oh, that was just, new 14 years ago not anymore just name the but based off of the color of the box it'll just be this is the switch green box now yeah you could do that the switch green, switch red. Um, Ollie in the chat uh, joked about calling it the Switch Plus since everything else is going plus, Disney Plus, PlayStation Plus. That'd make it sound like a, more of a subscription service though considering that is what, you know, the naming convention is commonly used for. Yeah, that's true actually, yeah. They could have called, they could have called Nintendo Switch Online that. But, oh well. All right. Let's move out of this topic then. Let's get into games we're playing. Um, Paul, you can start us off considering that you've been playing Final Fantasy. You can fill us in on how the game is going outside of its broken online. Yeah, um, I've only got it around the time that everyone else did. So it's, uh, it's still been a bit limited, especially hindered by the online not working. But it's like I played a all the way back when it came out, the the link cables, the Game Boy Advances and everything. And it's a it's definitely that same game. It look it looks nicer, but then it's like my memories of way back to like over a decade ago. So it's like that's still all there. It's just not as fun playing it by yourself solo it's all that action rpg stuff it's it it hasn't kept up with i guess diablo or like i guess any of those other action rpgs where you can have the cooperative world like torchlight 2 and onwards does it as well but it's like it's also not trying to be that kind of game because it's like yeah from however long ago it's everything feels a lot more deliberate which can feel a bit off when one of your major moves is like slow attacks and trying to build a combo on like a three hit combo off of that and then like it's meant to be in multiplayer that you're using your magic and you can combine like sync it up and you combine it with your your friends attacks and that's where you get all your fused attacks from but instead with solo it's just you get to build that all yourself and it's like there there are people that will get much more out of it they they might have they'd probably have much more nostalgia for the original than i did because it sort of felt slow that however many years ago for me but it's a it also feel, always felt like a game that hinges on needing four people to get the most out of that game, which, like, having that many Game Boy Advances, Link Cables, like, GameCube, someone with the game, it's uh, that, that was a pretty tough call back in the day. And then now it's, of course, hindered by all of these other things. Most importantly, the online just not working, so you can't 
join in with someone else even if you wanted to. But now they've also gone and like you can't have it where you're sharing your you're going through the entire game with your shared party. You have to you can only enter together into dungeons. It's the only the main person gets that the I guess the progression from that. So it's you're gonna have to go back to all the to everyone else's copy of the game. Like everyone else is gonna have to be the leader so you can go back through and well people might enjoy that game to play through it four times. Like that might be exactly what they get out of it, but it's a clunky way to do it and it's like it, it's hard to rake Crystal Chronicles over the coals for this because it's not just that game that does it. It's like playing Marvel Alliance 3 recently had the same issues with progression and like making a co-op game where it feels like both parties have uh, can have a decent amount of control that everything shares over. It's like sometimes it's just not baked in because that's not what they probably saw the main focus as, but it's it does hurt this game by not having it be easier to do because but like as as we've seen from the last few days with how annoyed people are like and rightfully annoyed that these that there's just things not in this game that either could have been or that like if you're going to bother remastering it then the a little bit of extra work could have gone a long way especially knowing that it is like i don't know like would it be a cult classic game maybe i mean there was i guess it might have been a bit of a cult following it was one of the very few final fantasy games to come to gamecube yeah but it's not one that it's it's never usually mentioned like in the larger discussions of final fantasy but people have fun like being able to play co-op and like yeah i guess all the work you had to go through back then it's you had to be pretty dedicated to want to play some crystal chronicles yeah so overall then um i know we're pushing for time at the moment but overall would you recommend this game then given a lot of the caveats that seem to have gone into how you actually play this game with people even though that was one of the main hooks of the game like would you recommend this to to just the general people if you love the single player game the first time around or if you're only intending on playing a single player then a lot of the issues won't impact you it's you're you're going to be playing a dated game. It's still like it's still enjoyable to a degree, but if you're like, unless you're really hardcore about Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, and you're willing to jump through all the hoops you have to jump through, then it might be better to either wait and see if they do decide to change those things, if Australians can even wind up getting online at all ever, or like yeah it's it might be worth a miss for now fair enough um what about the other the other games you've been playing lately um well i've been playing no straight roads which i know chris has also been playing so i might leave that one to chris but i've also been playing captain subasa it's a soccer game based off of the anime it's quite interesting in that from all the footage of it initially it's it looks like it could just be a anime version of FIFA or and like just you're only playing soccer but it turns out that it's a lot of visual novel built around like this is, instead of having those moments where you all of a sudden have to play mini games to deal with something it's like oh no you're playing a full game of soccer to to deal with it and <laughs> which uh, which can be fun it's it's pretty arcadey it's uh, the only problem is is that it throws in like it's really over the top a lot of the time you have people doing special soccer moves it's like i guess uh, like uh, mario strikers it's you you can charge up and have have your special special kickers you're going for goal and it's a uh, 
it's hard not to get sucked in by all the enthusiasm. Like everyone's so enthusiastic. It's about like them overcoming all the other teams being, I think it's middle, the they're in middle school or middle, middle tier soccer through school. And like, yeah, it's just about them being the best team. Everyone else is sort of, like yeah, it's based around what was it? Subasa is a soccer prodigy, and so it's like the the this whole game's almost framed around like he's almost the chosen one. He's the Skywalker of of soccer, <laughs> and so it's a yeah, a based around a lot of. I guess him striving to get better, even though like it's of course he's the best person at soccer. He's gonna go off and do incredibly great things, but it's like oh no, he's got to keep doing better because everyone else gets better. It's uh, and it's uh, like yeah, you get caught up in it, but then once you sort of get into those soccer matches and continuing the story, of course, relies on you. Uh, winning those soccer matches, it gets a bit tough when it also fumbles on not like you hit the pass button. It usually passes, tries to pass to the only person who has the opposition in front of them uh, and won't, won't go for anyone nearby or like someone's taken, so, someone's stolen the ball. You need it to, to highlight the next person. And it's, you're guaranteed whenever you hit the button, it's going to send you off to someone who's halfway down the field away from everyone else. And so there's just a few bits and pieces that make it a bit painful to play through those soccer bits, but it's uh, hoping that they might tune that up a bit and fix it. But overall, it's like, I guess it's nice to be able to play some some soccer that actually like isn't just having a full back on FIFA games, but it's, it's still got a ways to go and be prepared for a lot of dialogue scenes in between soccer matches as well. If you're hoping it's only soccer. Cool. What about you, Chris? What have you been playing? Yeah, I've been playing a bit lately. I've been playing a fair bit of uh, PGA 2K21 on PS4 and been having a great time on the golf course there. Um, I've still been playing through Paper Mario Origami King and I've just found that to be such a wonderful wind-down game at the end of the day. It's just so chill and the writing is just... Oh, the writing is fabulous. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, But uh, I've been playing, uh, or actually I recently had my review for Best Friend Forever published on Vooks the other day. Uh, Best Friend Forever is made by independent uh, New Zealand studio Starcult, and it is a dating sim game where not only do you get to uh, try and woo the residents of the fictional Rainbow Bay, but you also get to adopt and care for a dog. <laughs> so it's uh, quite a, a cute little mix of, uh, you know, the, uh, the sort of things you'll expect from dating sims and also, you know, you get to have a, a cute dog follow you everywhere. So sort of, you know, some light Nintendogs elements uh, plus, uh, you know, the conventional uh, visual novel and dating sim elements as well. Um, I really enjoyed it for the most part, but the Nintendo Switch version is a bit on the buggy side at the moment uh, in terms of sometimes the dialogue doesn't display correctly or um, there's actually uh, one path, one romance path, which is bugged out at the moment uh, and you hit a point where you can't progress much further. Uh, However, I still really enjoyed my time with it and there is a patch coming for the Switch version that's for those on Steam. It's already live on Steam, that patch, uh, but on Nintendo Switch it is incoming just pending certification and once that goes through, uh, most of those glaring issues will be fixed and you can have yourself a great little dog care and dating sim experience, which is lovely. Um <laughs> And I've also been playing No Straight Roads on PS4 for Player 2, and that's sort of a, I'm hesitant to call it rhythm-based, but it's rhythm, uh, rhythm, rhythm-fixated sort of platform uh, action sort of game. And 
I I quite like it. I think there are some elements which just sort of feel a bit padding out. Some of the sort of uh, small uh, exploration elements and that the platforming elephant uh, elephants <laughs> <laughs> the, the pla- platforming elements uh, feel uh, a little bit floaty and imprecise. But the the boss encounters, which are all uh, musical themed. And this is a game about sort of the power of rock versus EDM. Uh, there's a great soundtrack uh, that fuses electronic music and rock music, among other uh, influences as well, together. And in doing so, create some really cool boss fights and some really cool moments against uh, bosses who use different types of music to, to fight against you. Uh, so it's really cool. Uh, it's got a really great art style and really great color palette, which I love in a game. Uh, probably why I enjoy Origami King as well, because it's just so bright and colorful. But um, no straight roads. I, I, it's it's not like an instant recommend for me, uh, but there are definitely some really good elements to it. And Paul did uh, allude to off air that there are some difficulty spikes. Uh, as well, uh, some of the boss en- boss encounters do have some rather tricky uh, elements to navigate, which uh, can be a bit frustrating considering there are technically no checkpoints during the boss. So if you've made it through several waves of the boss or several forms of the boss and you die in the last bit, you've got to redo the whole thing again. But they did push a patch uh not long after launch or on launch, which uh, did allow you to restart from where you died, albeit the highest grade that you can receive at the end of the encounter is a C, uh, which better than nothing, I suppose. (laughs) But yeah, uh, definitely uh, if you're really interested in sort of music, musical sort of genre fusions and a game that does clever things with music, then No Straight Roads might be up your alley. Cool. Yeah, sounds interesting. I do like good rhythm games, so could be fun. Um, my turn. So I've been playing Final Fantasy VIII still. It's really difficult to play a Final Fantasy game when you're a big dummy like me because I tend to try to fit that one in <laughs> when I'm about to go to sleep. So some people probably like read a book when they're about to go to sleep or play a lighter oh, game or something. I like to play very wordy RPGs. And the problem is, is that I'd fall asleep and then I go back to it the next day and I don't remember the last 20 minutes of stuff that I've done because I was falling asleep at the time. <laughs> so I come in and I'm just like, where am I? Who is in my party? What abilities do I have? <laughs> I just have no idea what's going on. It's, just, it's, it's, it's like Memento. It's basically like Christopher Nolan's film Memento. I just don't know what I've been doing the last time I tried to play. But, you know, I guess that makes it more exciting. <laughs> Uh, you just have to work out what you did as you fell asleep from all the screenshots you took of the game as you nodded off. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's kind of annoying, but it's kind of funny at the same time. Uh, I've also been playing some Hitman on Xbox. Um, nice. So, yeah, I, so it just recently came out free. Or it's, it's currently free this week on the Epic Game Store. Um, I was playing it early last year as part of Game Pass on Xbox. And then it was free on Games of Gold in like September last year. So I forgot that I even had it for free on Xbox until just like a few days ago. I'm like, oh, dang, I've got it for free. I'll totally play it on Xbox again. And then I I think I have Hitman 2 as well. I think I own that on Xbox as well because I could download it, but I didn't realize that I'd bought it. So I don't know. I've got Hitman coming out the wazoo at the moment, but I'm really, really keen <laughs> on Hitman at the moment. It's so much fun. I'm the kind of person who plays stealth games like really stealthy until the feces hit the fan and then it's just like a shooting gallery for me where like i'm just like popping fools every everywhere and then getting myself killed i do it with with assassin's creed now i do it with um dishonored i do it with hitman and any other stealth game where i'm trying to sneak around it's just it's 20 minutes of me being stealthy and then 45 minutes of me just running around just pushing everyone over like it's it's so ridiculous but i love it it's so much fun um and then there's wolfenstein youngblood so Last year, I played through all three of the, the at the time released um, Wolfenstein uh, uh, sorry, uh, reboot games and absolutely love them. I really love what, what Machine Games is doing with this series. And then um, just recently, I've been playing Youngblood as pass, part of Game Pass again on PC. And good God, I cannot stand that game. I really want to love this game. I just can't stand it. The characters are just so unlikable. They're so frustrating. But worst of all is... Um, I'm at, I got, there's one stage uh, where I'm walking around this, I think it's a Parisian street, uh, yeah, a Parisian street or something like that. 
and um, you've just got these branching streets to walk through and everything takes forever to try and get through. I played it about four or five times in one sitting and each time was about three, about 30 minutes, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And I just kept getting killed and you just go right back to the beginning of the stage. So the, the, the checkpointing system is absolutely horrendous in this version. Mixed in with how annoying the characters are and just how cheap some of the, just the general enemy fights tend to be i just actually rage uninstalled this game i didn't even just re- like rage quit it i just turned the game off and just uninstalled it and took took back 70 gigs of hard drive space i was just so mad at it so does it still have like the um sort of like the uncharted or early uncharted games where the waves of enemies would just keep coming until you progress to a certain point yeah well to make that worse it does have that and to make that worse is um i would kill a bunch of enemies that was spawning at one end of the map and then I had to go complete an objective at the other end of the map and when I go and killed all those enemies I'd return to where I was before and they would all be back again so I would have to just keep right it was just it would just not save like what I was doing and again because there's no there's no checkpoint saves at least in that particular level like I was just back and forth just constantly shooting the same enemies over and over and over again and it was just so frustrating is mm. yeah I just got too mad too mad and I had to quit it <sighs> anyway Let's quickly go through some eShop recommendations now. So blasting through these ones, I'll quickly go first. Um, Chris actually stole one of my recommendations. And when I say stole, I mean, I saw his and and thought, oh, I should have said that one, but I didn't. Um, So uh, I haven't actually played this one yet. I have it on my Switch. I bought it months ago and I have always intended to play it. But I did play the original on the Sega Master System and it is Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap. Really, really excited for this one when it was announced about three or four years ago. Looks amazing. Love the art style to it. And you can actually flip back and forth between the original game's art style and the new hand-drawn art style. And currently it's $10.46, so 60% off, but the sale ends on this particular game. Um, By the time you're listening to this, maybe it ends tomorrow on September 1st. So if you're listening after September 1st, you're out of luck, unfortunately. But it is 60% off, so it's less than half price. And yeah, I'm very keen to finally get around to it. Um, But yeah, Chris, what are yours? Yeah, I might have to suss out Wonder Boy as well because the visuals look really lovely. But yeah, I've uh, recommended Ukulele and the Impossible Lair, which is retailing for Australian $20.25, which I think is about 50 to 60% off. And yeah, it's a fantastic return to form uh, for Platonic, who are uh, predominantly ex-Rare devs who worked on games like Donkey Kong Country and Banjo-Kazooie, all those sort of games. And well, the first Ukulele, I thought, they did a reasonable job of. It did feel a bit um, uh, a bit sort of sparse in parts. Uh, Ukulele in, in The Impossible there focuses more on the 2D platforming and does a terrific job and also features some uh, really cool 3D isometric uh, overworld puzzles, very much in the vein of some of the uh, classic Zelda games. And I've also recommended Dead Cells, the Bad Seed Bundle, which is retailing for $24. Australian, and I think that's makes it 40% off. And Dead Cells is a 2D action platformer rogue light. What I like about rogue lights is there's always some sense of retaining progression through uh, failed runs. You're always building towards something bigger, even when you, you know, even when you eat dirt and die. Uh, and uh, Dead Cells has received quite a bunch of content updates since launch, uh, I think a couple of years ago roughly, and the Bad Seed Bundle also includes uh, one of the paid DLC, or the one paid DLC pack as well, uh, which I must return to at some point because I haven't played in quite a while, so when I go back to it, it'll probably be like a brand new game and I'll be having a great time. <laughs> yeah, this was the one that I was going to recommend because I recently played it on Game Pass and loved it. I did not expect to love it as much as I did. Mm. It was so good. I really, really enjoyed that game. Yes. What about you, Paul? What have you got to recommend? All right. Well, I would also, I guess, third for Dead Cells. And I I also played it very early on, so it's probably a completely different game. But if it's uh, built on what there is, it's, yeah, definitely check that one out. Also, Cook Serve Delicious 2 is on sale. I'm I might have said on a previous one, but that one is always worth, worth checking out while it's on sale or even while it's not on sale, it's still a pretty decent price. 
And I'm just trying to think. There was one other one, a short hike in the... Is it just called a short hike? I think it's just called a short hike. Yeah, I, that that yeah. is one that I also did sneak in some time through the week for, and it's like it's under ten dollars, I think. Yeah. But it was like that. That's also really enjoyable, especially being one of the people in Melbourne's lockdown. It's a, it's just a nice, pleasant game to play. So definitely check mm. that one out if you haven't already. Oh. Um, well, looking at the fortnight forecast, um, so between now and the next episode, so August 30 and September 13, uh, on September 2, we have Piffle coming out. And uh, Chris seemed a little bit excited about this one, or at least could recognize it. I don't know too much about this one, but I've seen there's a little bit of buzz about this one. Do you know what, it, do you know what this game involves? Very addictive puzzler. Uh, it's, yeah, it was a free-to-play or is a free-to-play mobile game. Uh, Hipster Whales involved of Crossy Road fame and, uh, yeah, very well designed. So I'm excited to see what the Switch version is like. Cool. Um, we've also got on September 4, we've got three games coming up um, here that are notable. We've got NBA 2K21. So if you're into some good basketball sim stuff, you've got that one to look forward to. There's also Lair of the Clockwork God and Paradise Killer, which, Chris, you described before as a sort of like a Danganronpa kind of affair. Yes, yeah, Paradise Killer. I played a demo of it during the Steam Summer Festival a couple months back, and, yeah, some real Danganronpa vibes. And, uh, yeah, I I reckon probably go into it knowing as little as possible because it's, yeah, it's a real, a real head trip. Cool. Um, okay, well, that about wraps up this week's VOOCcast. So be sure to visit the site, www.vooks.net, for all your Nintendo news, reviews, and everything in between. Uh, also hit up our Discord if you want to join the conversation there. To keep up to date, follow the site on Twitter, at vooks.net, all spelled out. Uh, Paul, where can people find you online? Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Captain Paul Blues, C-A-P-T Paul Blues, and yeah or i'm floating around the discord cool and what about you chris yeah most channels or twitter for me is bibby boy b-i-b-b-y-b-h-o-y cool and uh you can find me on twitter at mangelo that's m-a-n-j-e-l-l-0 and also on twitch uh you can you can catch me streaming every now and again uh that's at mangelo show so all spelled out no zeros there uh thanks for listening and we'll see you next fortnight Bye-bye.